Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today we have Matt Stahl on to give us a nice Alabama preview. We talked quarterback situation, the current state of Alabama's defense, the inability to generate a pass rush, what's wrong with their offensive line, and the outlook for them this weekend as the Saban era hits a very, very unfamiliar spot. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the show. Get a, It'll definitely get you ready for the game. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit is located off Old Taylor Road, just a less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus. It sleeps, ate comfortably. It is gated. It has amenities such as a tennis courts, sauna. It's a great place to be. It can be hard to find a place to stay in Oxford, particularly on big weekends. Maybe you're just coming through for a business trip. Hey, maybe you're coming up for a midweek basketball game. Got the basketball season tickets coming up. There's all kinds of availability, including Vanderbilt weekend for football check them out rent the sip oxford.com bracken ray friend of the pod would not steer you the wrong way it is a prime location less than a mile from campus straight shot to swayze field almost a straight shot to vaude hemingway stadium and of course an easy walk to the pavilion as well you need to check it out today go to rent the sip oxford.com to check availabilities if you use the promo code rippy rights r-i-p-p-e-e rights r-i-t-e-s that'll get you 100 bucks off any two-night minimum stay please check this out don't miss out on the opportunity you always hear about it's hard to find a place in Oxford. I'm giving you one in a prom location at a terrific price. Check them out. RentTheSipOxford.com. Podcast is also brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is an award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and South Alabama regions. Seaspire is proud to announce the release of their new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, for one month of free service. That's right. You're going to get the best internet on the market. I use it. Can't be having bad internet doing the podcast and all the other stuff we got going on here. It's the best in the market. And just for listening to this podcast and using the promo code RIPPY, you're going to get a month of free service. Take advantage of that today. Cspire, customer inspired. All right, here's Matt Stahl. All right, we now welcome on now recurring guest, Matt Stahl, Alabama beat writer for AL.com. I was about to say it felt like we did this fairly recently. It actually was fairly recently. We did it like a week before the season. This is only game three. How you doing, man? I appreciate you joining us. Doing good. I guess the season's already like clipping along here. We're going to look up and it's going to be January. It happens that way every single year it's like labor day weekend i'm like hell yeah we got 14 more weeks of this than whatever postseason and then you look up in december you're like damn that happened fast this has been a bit of a whirlwind for alabama we when we last spoke i think you and i were both in agreement and i was like i don't really see this realistically as a winnable game for Ole miss boy has a lot changed in three weeks for alabama what uh i guess we'll just start there what is the pulse of tuscaloosa right now is it full-blown panic what is what what is the uh temperature of the program fan base whatever you take it whichever way you want to go well it's a winnable game for all this uh <laughs> we can start there uh that's probably that's probably not something the fans would have been excited to hear a couple weeks ago uh fan wise uh 
based on the emails I've been receiving, uh, the sky's falling. People really, really unhappy with the way things are going right now. Uh, and I mean, I don't blame them. Alabama looked pretty terrible against South Florida. And I mean, they looked worse against South Florida than they did against Texas. It's, uh, you know, inside the program, you get a little less panic, but obviously the external kind of persona of Alabama football gets so stage managed that you don't really know. But yeah, fans uh, freaking out just a little bit. So what is, I mean, we can go a number of different directions in this, but the thing about last week that was interesting to me, and I caught some of the game and then it got delayed and then Ole Miss was playing at the same time. So, you know, short attention span over here. Couldn't make them both work. What the hell happened last week? I think it probably revolves in some degree around them seemingly panicking at quarterback. But like South Florida, Alabama's 30-something point favorites. They really struggled to score points. I know it was a weird game with the delay, as I mentioned. What the hell happened last week, for the lack of a better question? No, that's uh, that's very fair. So they went with Tyler Buckner, the Notre Dame transfer, starting at quarterback in the game after uh, Jalen Milrow threw a couple, I mean, ugly picks, to be fair, against Texas. Uh he was not good. Uh, so then they go to Ty Simpson, who uh, redshirt freshman this year. All three of those guys were competing for the starting job in camp. And, I mean, he was better. Uh, still probably – still not great. Got sacked five times because the Alabama offensive line has been just miserable. Just absolute cheesecloth the last few weeks here. Uh, and – yeah, that, that's really it. They didn't block anybody. Uh, and they put the less mobile quarterbacks behind the absolute sieve of an offensive line. And, you know, they didn't make their throws. Uh, they didn't seem to get a whole lot of help scheme-wise to get around not having an offensive line. And, yeah, they just they didn't move the ball. I mean, the only time they really convincingly moved the ball was the last drive of the game. So – that's an interesting facet of it to me, too. And I guess we'll start there with quarterback. Were you surprised that after the Texas game that Alabama elected to change quarterbacks? Because I believe when we spoke in the preseason, you're like, hey, there's three guys in the mix. Milrow probably wins the job. And regardless, even if it was like not that confident of a decision leaving camp or whatever that went into him starting after two games and a loss to a team that I think is going to end up being pretty damn good, were you surprised that they – temporarily pulled the plug on the operation with the whole mural thing after eight quarters of football. Not super surprised because after that Texas game, Saban said, I did consider making a change during the game before they went on one of their scoring drives. Uh, I, I think perhaps some people underestimated the level of game they were going to get from South Florida. Uh, they, so go get what I guess the thought may have been, well, what does it hurt to go get a look at Tyler Buckner here? Maybe he'll be the answer. Uh, maybe Ty Simpson's the answer. And no, I think at this point, I, I guess it didn't surprise me that we didn't see Milrow play. Although there was some times during the game, it's like, man, he probably, the guy who can run is probably the best option here. But I mean, they got out of it with a win, and now I think they're pretty well set. Like based on what Nick Saban says, like Milrose, the guy, he's got our, as much confidence as there is in any one of these guys. He's he's got it now. I get it's a different vantage point covering 
the greatest dynasty that probably has ever hit college football. But like after that Texas game, I was left thinking, okay, yeah, Alabama has some issues, but I think Texas is pretty good. What was kind of your mindset about what you thought this team could be after the Texas loss or before the Texas loss? I just left it more impressed with Texas than I was about Alabama's issues. Then last week happened and I would say the scales tipped in the other way. What were you thinking about what this team was and was not after the loss to Texas? Well, before the Texas game, I try my absolute damnedest not to make public picks just because they never don't turn into a meme. But <laughs> I, I, occasionally you get sucked into it, and I would have probably picked Texas to win outright in that game. I mean, they were at least going to cover. I forget what Alabama was favored by. It was like more than a touchdown, though. It's, that's, that's not going to happen. If anybody's going to win by more than a touchdown, it's going to be Texas here. But, no, I mean, you just saw – some issues that may have been there against MTSU, but you couldn't really tell because MTSU, come on. And I mean, they couldn't block anybody. Like that was, that's the, give me the biggest issue. And it wasn't like in the Texas game, they were getting beat by some, you know, weird stunts or exotic looks kind of like they did against USF. I mean, they were just getting their ass beat by like four man rush. Like you can't do much for that. So I, I I left that game thinking, and, and the secondary didn't look particularly good either. Although, I, it, it, well, the defense the defense looked worse in, against Texas. Like the defense, I think fixed some issues against South Florida, especially getting to the quarterback. But that offensive line, man, that's going to be a that's a concern going forward. How does that happen with the Nick Saban run program? I get it, man. You can't keep the level that he kept up. It seemingly was going to last forever somewhere in the mid 20 teens there. But like everything comes, I say comes to an end. I'm not declaring the Saban era dead or anything like that. But eventually you're going to catch a year or a couple of years where you're just kind of down from a pro standout standpoint, even if the talent is awesome. How did they end up with an offensive line at Alabama the, the way this one is performed? That's a great question. I mean, you went you went before the season and like they were talking kind of spicy at SEC media days about how, you know, we're going to run the joyless murder ball thing and we're going to, you know, run the damn ball and we're going to crush everybody. We're the biggest offensive line in the world. That does and become I mean, tougher when you can't block. That does change things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have been – the offense has been joyless. I'll give them that part. But, <laughs> I mean <laughs> – just I don't know how it happens I they look the part they're the biggest I, I think they'd be the biggest starting offensive line in the NFL which I mean maybe it's a mobility issue who knows but yeah they just it's been bad it's just outright and I over at left tackle you got um you got Caden Proctor starting he's 18 years old I think a true freshman so there's going to be a growth some growth there uh, one of the guards, you got Darian Dalcourt, who, I mean, was a center until this season. They moved to guard for his extra year and have kept Seth McLaughlin at center. Uh, I mean, the last game, Tyler Booker was out uh, with some back spasms. And, you know, you know, Terrence Ferguson in that spot. So it's a little bit green in places maybe. But, yeah, I don't, I don't have a clear answer on that one. It's just – it just kind of is what it is, and it's bad. The thought I had without reading anything into it, and obviously I don't like cover the program and I'm not nearly as close to it as you are, is when they went away from Milrow, I thought, well, what does that do to that kid's mentality? He's a younger quarterback still trying to develop. 
it seemed like it was a thing where there were some rumblings of like he wasn't the greatest at practice after the Texas game. Who the hell knows how true any of that is. But what did you make of the fact that they went away from him for the South Florida game and are now coming back to him? Do you think that will make any adverse or positive difference in Jalen Milrow going back to him this week after being benched last week? I think – and. um not to to give the shameless ale.com plug my uh, co-worker Nick Alvarez had a story today about uh Jake Coker who my, one of my favorite sentences of all time two-time national champion Jake Coker is he got that one at Alabama and he was um he was the backup to Jameis year at Florida State I but, forgot uh, about that that's a hell of a trivia question by the way yeah yeah it is where where Jake Coker win his first national title it's hilarious but just about how Coker got pulled for a game, right? Like it's, it happened against whatever. Ole Miss. They started Cooper Bateman in 2015. That's it. That's the one. Uh, and uh, that didn't work. Uh, didn't work didn't at all. Uh, uh, <laughs> so next game, old Jake Coker's running back out there. You know, he might not have been the greatest thing in the world, but he was good enough to win a national championship for him that year. But he mentioned in the story, like, after that, after like they got it out of their system, like oh maybe we make a quarterback change or whatever, I was able to be like more confident, like take him, pick more risks here, do this, do that, just because I knew I like wasn't looking over my shoulder. So I think maybe you see some of that from Jalen Milrow, who I mean has got an arm, right? Like he, like there's a lot of positives to having Jalen Milrow at quarterback. I mean he's not Bryce Young, but who is? Uh, it's yeah, it's it. I, I don't really understand the quarterback choice last game. Like it's it's just weird. I'm gonna have to go bookmark that story after we get done recording it. I haven't seen this. We're all about the shameless plug on here. I will hawk any product, whether it's legal or not, on here. So I'm gonna have to go. Everyone else, check out that story. I'm gonna do it as well. I had never thought about it from that perspective. Of hey, if they go back to me, clearly the other options suck. Like, what what do I have to lose here? It might actually free him up a little bit. I mean, if someone, like, tried to replace me at my job and it was such a disaster they brought me back within a week, I'd be like, I can do whatever the hell I want right now. Like, clearly they're not going to come back to me again. The other thing, too, uh, me, and, me and Nick Alvarez were standing on the field at Raymond James before the game last week, and we see the quarterbacks come out, which obviously we're down there to get our little 15-second Twitter video of like, ah, look at the quarterbacks warming up. They can all throw passes. Uh, and we look in the tunnel, and all the quarterbacks are, like, huddled up, like, you know, breaking it down or whatever. Jalen Milrow is the one, like, leading the group out. And you saw, like, you can see during the game, too, like Ty Simpson goes and scores on that uh, QB sneak to really seal the game with, like, 30 seconds left. And Jalen Miller was, like, running on the field to hug him. So, like, clearly – and you've heard this from players, too, here. It's like the leadership's there for Milrow, and I think his teammates are pretty well behind him. I think – I mean, at this point, I don't see, like – like, even if he struggles a little bit, like, I don't think we're going to be hearing, like, the fan uproar, like, we got to get somebody else in there. Like, the fans have seen somebody else, and it was worse. And that's the part that, like – it's kind of a funny situation in that sense, too. Of like, like I saw a couple of tweets to where, you know, the classic like engagement artist where it's like, damn, Elon Musk now pays this guy for this shit. But like, he would like, like someone like Buckner or Simpson or someone got sacked and it was like, look, they didn't even help him up. It's like, okay, dude, that was one play among like 120 in the football game. Let's, let's take it easy here. But, you know, congrats on the $8 a month check mark. 
Did, is, is, was there a part of that? Like, how calculated do you think – this is almost a rhetorical question. Do you think there's any part of Nick Saban that thought, we'll be fine against South Florida, maybe the margin was a little thinner than he thought, that, hey, use this game to take a look at what you might have, just to con- confirmation bias almost, before you go back to an opponent that can actually beat you? You know, South Florida is a great team. I don't know why you're thinking we're going to get a look at some other guys in that game. Aren't no, they like actively uh, trying to defund their football program? I feel like that excuse wouldn't even fly. <laughs> no, I mean it was. You didn't even get much of that this week for Mick Saban. It's like that team was trash last year. He didn't say that. I said that, but I mean they won one game last season. And they're switching to Alex Golish offense. Like it's, it should not be a like hard team to like deal with. But so yeah, maybe maybe in somewhere in the back of Nick Saban's mind there was a oh this is the game to try some other guys. But oh boy, they came out of that that game was a public relations disaster if nothing else. We'll get back to Matt in just a second, but before we do, I wanted to take a real quick break to remind you. The podcast is brought to you by Twisted T. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol. Watch out out there. Dangerous. That's my words, not theirs. And no carbonation. Delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting with friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable memories. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that feels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Hopefully, you took advantage of Skybox Sports Picks 4 and 2 week in college football last weekend. All you have to do is go online to skyboxsportspicks.com, sign up for a picks package that fits your price range, and boom, you're more equipped to profit. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try college football, NFL. I'd recommend going with the year long all access pass. And you're more equipped to profit than you are five minutes before signing up for Skybox. It's a small investment to ensure that you do not lose money this football season. If you're into wagering, it's the only place to profit. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, back to Matt. It's heading into this week. What's interesting to me is you mentioned Alabama figured some things out defensively. My one thought heading into this one is like, look, there's a ton of talent across the board defensively. We covered in the preseason podcast. Yeah, they didn't look great at times against Texas, but second game of the year type stuff, you know, sometimes you win and learn from it. Other times you lose and learn from it. You mentioned them figuring some things out against USF. What do you figure they figured out? The pass rush. Uh, I mean, they didn't sack the quarterback against Texas and, I mean, Quinn Ewers was just mostly just standing there in the pocket, going over the top. Like, it, <laughs> you really can't have that. I mean, they only allowed three points against USF. And th- those three points came after Kool-Aid McKinstry muffed a punt, essentially in the red zone. And then they went moved like three yards and kicked a field goal after that. So I, it, it's some of like those issues where they were getting beat over the top against Texas. That didn't seem to exist. Uh, I mean, if you listen to the coach in Oxford, they got somebody else running the uh, yeah, running the defense. Nice. <laughs> That's the funniest story of the week to me. I th- I think uh, for me, I really think 
thinking about Lane Kiffin one week a year is really like the perfect amount of time to do that. But yeah, it's mostly they just got to the quarterback. That's about it. We'll just go there right now then, because as someone who does this somewhat from afar now, I'm really surprised at a Lane Kiffin thing. I will tell you though, I haven't done this for four years of Lane Kiffin now. He's different this week than any other week. He denies it publicly, but anytime you talk to anyone that's like inside the building or whatever, there is clearly a desire to beat Nick Saban, even if he doesn't want to admit it. He coaches the game differently. If I, I think I wrote last night in a newsletter I wrote, let's rank his most famous sound bites. Like three of the five are pre-Alabama, during Alabama, or post-Alabama. From get your popcorn to I was pissed the fans cheered when we lost in 2020. If you're talking top sound bites, most of it is centered on Alabama. How far out of left field was that comment from Kiffin from the other side of it where you're covering Alabama? Now you have a sitting SEC head coach who's like, hey, the guy who's running this defense is not actually doing it. Like when you first saw that, what was your initial reaction? Uh, he's trying to fuck up Nick Saban's Monday. That's what I thought too. That was, that was it. Okay. Lane, from what I'm told, does not have Sunday Zoom press conferences following games. I think that he started like, it this week. I yeah, swear to God, because week. when that happened, I texted a couple of buddies that still show up to those every week, and I'm like, hey, why is he talking on a Sunday? Who did he say this to? Yeah, he started it this week. He decided, I mean, uh, you know, I think I think his Monday press conference is after Saban's uh, time-wise during the week. <laughs> he decided he needed to get a message out there, so – and yeah, that that was what I thought was, but he's just trying to he's trying to rattle Saban's cage a little bit, which I mean he's been known to do. Then the funnier part to me was he came out, um, I guess the Monday. He was like, "Oh, I wasn't trying to start a big thing." Oh, like it's that. incredible. He is a PhD in gaslighting. I don't even remember. I mean that as a compliment rather than an insult. That guy will lob a bomb in a punch bowl and be like, "I didn't know that was going to happen." Yeah. No, we can drop – we can play the media conspiracy theory game here too with him. Do you read that L.A. Times article? Yes. Uh, Reformed Lane Kiffin? All right. Why did that drop the day after the worst game of the Saban era instead of in like three weeks when the actual tarmac firing anniversary is? Exactly. That story mentions Jimmy Sexton in the story. Like, come on now. Why did that drop this week? Why did he start the Sunday presser this week? And why did he go with the whole, oh, they're not actually running that defense thing this week? Hmm. Things that will make you go, hmm. I'm sure it's all just a happy-go-lucky coincidence, but it does crack me up. I I, I was going to ask you that next. I laughed harder than anything when he actually got back on Monday and was like, I didn't mean to cause a stir. It's like, did you accuse the sitting defensive coordinator <laughs> not running his defense? But to clarify – for someone that watches the program today, clearly you're very familiar with Kevin Steele. Was there there was no part of you that was like, maybe he's not running this defense? It was clearly just to stir shit up. I mean, I was I didn't even think about it like being a possibility until I go on Twitter and I see Lane Kiffin's on there talk. Lane Kiffin's on there retweeting everything about his statement. Like that was that man's he's calculated. I'll give him that one. But no, I mean. Nick Saban came out and he's like, look, we changed some, like Kevin Steele's still in charge of the thing. Uh, he's in the booth. So you're going against USF, which is a program that like is going to try and run a play every like seven seconds on you or whatever. And I mean, so I, the, the word, and at least what, at least what Saban said is they've just made some changes to get signals in quicker because they weren't getting signals in quick. Actually, after the Texas game, I believe it was Deontay Lawson 
uh, said, he's like, well, yeah, some of the signals were coming in pretty slow and it was clearly not helping. So I guess they made some changes on that front. But as to whether somebody else is running the defense, uh, I don't know. That's up to, I guess that's up to the viewer's interpretation of it. It makes me wonder what I could just lob in the punch bowl on a given week and I could just throw it out there and back. I actually don't think Charlie Weiss is employed by this program. I don't think he actually shows up on game days and just see how many people just take it and run with it. It just, the whole thing cracks me up from the Saban side of it. Clearly he's trying to get under Saban's skin. Saban plays the whole thing. Very Saban like, where he's like, yeah, not that big a deal. I know Alabama is a much different beast in terms of how it's covered versus Ole Miss is covered, even though uh kiffin has adopted some saving philosophies is there anything Sorry different about, about this week when he gets a question about what link kiffin said or tweeted like can you notice a different saving at all when he gets that type of question versus virtually anything else no i mean he's come out and I, he came out and praised lane during the press conference this week and some of the players did as well i think maybe more than anything like saban at this point is just maybe amused is the word by some of the like Kiffin antics, like they seem to have like on some level this friendship. And I maybe part of the friendship is like say or Kiffin is the one person who will kind of try and poke that bear. I mean, there's not a whole lot of people like out here like trying to antagonize Nick Saban on a week to week basis, but Kiffin's certainly one of them. My theory on it is they both appreciate how both football smart each other are. And I think Kiffin has a genuine appreciation for, you know, the greatest college football coach in history. Makes a little bit of sense. I think Saban appreciates what an offensive mind Lane Kiffin is. But like to use just a terrible Colin Cowherd example, Saban to me looks at him now of like, I can't believe like this is that distant cousin who I tried to help out and I took him in for a while. And hey, it turned out okay. But looking back on it, how in the hell did that guy ever coexist with me for any extended period of time? Yeah. I yeah, mean, he fired I mean, him after a playoff game before the national title. That's not really common. Yeah. To go to a um, – I, 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 I'm not the one who's reported this. I forget where I saw this. But to, he fired him so he could go to a job that Saban essentially got for him. Yeah. Because, I mean, because I believe the word was Lane was thinking about going to um, go run Ed O's offense at LSU when he got there. <laughs> Saban did not want that. So – yeah, I, I, at this point, I mean, if you're Lane Kiffin, you sort of got to appreciate what Nick Saban did for you, sort of resuscitating your career following the tarmac firing. And, I mean, if you're Saban, it's kind of got to be the same way, right? Like, that was one of the first dynasties dead moments was, like, uh, they're losing to Ole Miss on a pretty regular basis. I think uh, the kick six game was in there somewhere. Like, they're losing games. And it's in part because, like, they keep running this, uh, the best offense 2006 has to offer. And, you know, Lane came in and modernized that for him. As far as this game is concerned, you know, people were surprised that it was Alabama favored by six and a half or seven. And as an experienced, unsuccessful uh, guy in the whole Vegas scene at times throughout my life, when something doesn't make sense, you probably just roll with it. Why do you figure Alabama is favored by seven points? And if they win this game, why? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, you hate to play the Vegas like, oh, they know something we don't. Yeah. I mean, looking at it from afar, it's like, boy. Like, I'd put that like maybe Alabama by two and a half. I don't like I, – I couldn't give you a real solid reason for that. It might, I, I guess it could be something of the – Maybe this USF game woke up the Nick Saban beast and they're going to 
I mean, because historically this would be a one, like the kind of game where a Saban team comes in and just fucking jackhammers Ole Miss. Exactly. But like, I mean, this doesn't look like that same Alabama team, nor does it look like the same Ole Miss team. So I I don't have an answer on that one. I, if, 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 like I said, if I'm placing the line somewhere, it's probably Alabama by like two and a half. We will finish up, Matt, in just a second. But before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me. And also discounted meats. Right now, the Rippy Rights special is three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation. You're getting there for 20 bucks. Show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up with the Rippy Rights special. Then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meat. It's football season. You're going to want to throw something on the grill and watch all the games. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary-Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Matt. What do you think Alabama is most worried about in terms of defending Ole Miss's offense? Because it's an offensive line that has struggled early in the year. They're still rotating guys. Quinchon Judkins has not gotten going at all. I thought they ran the football better last week. It was also Georgia Tech, not exactly a great defensive front. What do you think keeps Saban or Tommy Reese or whomever up at night? I say Tommy Reese, that would be the other side of the football. wouldn't be offense versus offense. Kevin Steele, who we've established doesn't run his own defense, concrete fact now. What do you think keeps him up at night heading into this week? Probably Ole Miss trying to go over the top of them. Like, that was such an issue in the Texas game, especially when they couldn't get to Quinn Ewers. But, I mean, you got a little bit of youth back there. Uh, you got, I mean, yeah, it's it's just got to be that. It's like your safety is accidentally taking two steps forward when they need to be running backwards. And as Nick Saban has said, that's the kiss of death at safety. So just getting toasted over the top, that can't happen. And so if Alabama wins this thing, that would be – Probably mostly the reason why, right? You mentioned they figured out the pass rush. Ole Miss is far from a sure thing on the offensive line. If Alabama wins this going away, like you mentioned, jackhammering them in this classic saving spot, it's because Ole Miss couldn't block them up front. That's kind of the conclusion I came to because it was the same thing in 2021, except for less doubts on the Alabama side. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's that. I mean, you got a very good defensive front if you're Alabama, especially at the ends. I mean, you got Dallas Turner, who – I, well, they had two and a half sacks last week, I think. You got Chris Braswell, who led the nation in quarterback hurries last week. So those two, those two guys are going to – if they have a big game, it's going to be huge for Alabama. And then, you know, it, maybe Alabama figures out some little, little something on the offensive line, even if it's just, hey, we better call some bubble screens to get around this offensive line. Or it's like, hey, we're going to run, you know – 22 dive 60 times here 
and see if we can get see if we can get at it that way. But yeah, it's a I, it's it's a super intriguing game. Like I I am a betting man. Uh, shout out to all the offshore sports books and also to the Alabama legislature, which I'm sure is definitely going to pass sports gambling soon. But knock on wood. I, I, I would I wouldn't touch this one, and I've actually said that about several Alabama games this season. I'm like, boy, I I don't know that I'd play much on this one. That's kind of the sense I get as well. Um, you know, you already outlined what you think happens. I'll just go last thing as we kind of wrap up here. This Alabama Nick Saban team, I don't think people many many people consider them a playoff contender at this point. I get it; they still only have the one loss. What do you think this year will be like if they continue to struggle? I mean, this is – I'm almost asking an impossible question. This is kind of unprecedented for the Saban era ever since that infamous – was it 07? They lost to ULM and went 6-6. Six and six. Yeah. This has not happened in a long time. How do you figure they'll handle it, whether it's coaching staff-wise, fan base-wise, if this kind of turns into the 8-4 and four year that pretty much every other program has somewhere mixed in, yeah. just not them? Yeah, I, I don't know because it hasn't happened, which is crazy. I mean, Alabama in the past has been just an insane expectation place, and it still is in part because of Nick Saban. I mean, this is a school that fired Bill Curry when he went ten and two. Like that's not going to happen if that happens this season, you know, with Nick Saban. But I mean, he's he's said he doesn't plan on retiring. But he's also said he's not going to sit there for some slow decline, right? Like he saw what happened to the Bear. And he doesn't want that happening to him. Uh, so, yeah, boy, fan base is already losing its mind. I mean, if they lose two more games, the fan base is like, boy, they're going to be like knocking on doors in Tuscaloosa. Like, it's going to be a site like, I mean, they'd almost just for public relations purposes be trying to fire like every assistant coach, pulling in, you know. I'm sure the clamor would be like, let's do what Dion did in the transfer portal, get all new players. Like it'd be the the reaction would be a sight to behold. What did you make of the report? I get it, it's outkicked the coverage, but Glenn Gilbo has been a newspaper guy in Louisiana for a long time. I don't think he's in the business just making stuff up, but of kind of the he kind of put out a feeler about hey, Saban may not be long for this world. At the end of the day, despite his absolutely naturally colored hair, he's 70 something years old. He's not going to do this forever. What did you make of that? And is there any different of, I know you haven't been there, you know, a decade or so, but is there anything that feels different about, Hey, this might actually be the end for him. Not even really the dynasty, just the fact that he's an older guy that probably wants to enjoy the last years of his life. Yeah. I mean, I've got a coworker who's got a theory that he's going to go be Corso on college game Ooh. day, which uh, I don't, I don't know if I subscribe to that because like, like, can you imagine how bad college game day would be if the public persona that we have of Nick Saban replaced Lee Corso on there. Well, he would have to smile. That would be a tough part of the job requirement. Yeah. uh, Although, although, you know, I wrote a story this offseason about how he was smiling more than ever. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's just pivot there before I let you go. How long did that take? When I read that, I was like, this guy is a maniac, but also a genius. How long did that take? So, all right. So it took a few hours on the front end, right? Because I had to scroll back seven years through the AL.com, like Alabama YouTube page to find as many like links to his press conference videos as I could. Then um, my colleague, Michael Casagrande sent me like old schedules from like, like camp press availability schedules. 
So I put those, I had, I had this whole like Google doc with like seven years of dates on it. So the ones AL.com didn't have, I had to like search the date and like Nick Saban in YouTube and go find where somebody else had like posted an iPhone video of the press conference. So putting that all together was like three hours total. I mean, then it was about 11 hours of Saban footage that I couldn't really like slow like like or speed up right because you'll miss something so i'm sitting there with like with my iphone just it'd be like 2 30 in the morning i'm sitting here watching nick saban like timing smiles and questioning every decision i'd ever made and then after that i wrote it like it was a lab report right so like my sister's in nursing school now i had to send a text to her be like hey i need you to send me some lab reports because like lord knows i was failing science classes as a journalism major so I had, to, I had to go get those and then, I, you know, a couple hours of to write on that. Yeah, I, that would make two of us failing science classes. And to fill the audience in real quick, you basically charted Nick Saban's smiles by year and ranked them. Is that essentially the, the genesis of the project? Yeah, I sat there and I timed them. I put a like total press conference time, how much of that time, both, like by percentage he spent, spent smiling. I counted every smile. Yeah, it's a it's it's some empirical data. I'll, I'll I'll give it that. It was a it was fun when it was done. In all seriousness, it was an incredible story. But part of me again was like, is this guy a maniac or a genius? Did you have that an internal moment? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay, the funniest one, and I'll uh, I'm not, I'm not even gonna pull up the exact tweet, but what the it was like two minutes after I posted that story, and somebody had tweeted at me. Looks like you need to count some bitches, little bro. <laughs> I was like, shit, man, he got me. I, got <laughs> I have no retort here. That is absolutely amazing. He is Matt Stahl, Alabama doc, AL.com, Alabama beat writer. I can't talk today. Noted smile expert. I appreciate the time, my man. Enjoy the game Saturday, and we'll talk soon. For sure, anytime. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Really appreciate Matt's time. Thank you for listening to this podcast as always. We got some awesome guests coming next week. A lot going on. Of course, we'll have the reaction to a huge football game, Ole Miss Alabama, in case you were wondering, with Weldon on Sunday. Y'all enjoy the weekend, enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you here real soon.